towards the end of the New Testament, 3 John. We're going to be really focusing on this passage here in 3 John for uh, our entire study this morning. It's, um, this is a silly joke, but we only have enough time for just the first chapter here. Uh, again, I know that's a silly joke, but it's, it's kind of funny. We were actually, me and Danny were in a study, um, I can't remember who it was this, this week, but um, we were at one of the studies, and one of the passages that he mentioned was Third John, and uh, I thought it was funny because this is what I was planning on going through on, on Sunday morning, and so it's just uh, funny coincidences happen like that all the time. Uh, but as I said, if you want to go ahead and turn towards the end of your New Testament in Third John, we're, we, we're going to be focusing not on the really entirety of the, the just uh, 15 verses here. We're going to focus on just a couple of verses and really one person in particular. In, in, in our culture today, there seems to be an increasing epidemic of bullying. Um, this is something, whether it's physical, cyberbullying you sometimes hear about, or, or verbal, it, it is pervasive. In fact, because of how easy it is to engage in bullying, we've started putting numerous rules and even, in fact, some laws in place to try and counteract that or to try and prevent bullying. And there, the reason for that is because it has caused so much damage, especially in young people's minds, people who are still whose brains are still developing, don't know maybe exactly how to cope with that kind of just meanness and and, uh, rudeness and cruelty. There are, in fact, some adults that still don't know how to deal with that kind of cruelty. And so I think that this is something that needs to be talked about every now and then because it has even gotten to such a degree that, that some young people, many young people, in fact, throughout the nation, have committed suicide. And so it really is something that needs to be dealt with. It's something that we, need to, that we need to think about. It's something that we should never be guilty of ourselves, especially as Christians. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It is awful when it happens regardless of age or setting. But let me tell you, after saying all of that, this can happen in the church. In 3 John, John starts talking about really a bully in the church. And if it is damaging, if it is wrong in just the secular world, how much more so within the church? How much more so when we're talking about not just, you know, one kid over here that doesn't like some other kid over there because they never met each other, but talking about a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to speak about someone who John names as Diotrephes in Third John. I think it would be important to know who this man is. You may hear that name and think, I don't remember that name at all. Well, you're going to by the end of this study because we're focusing specifically on him this morning. And I want to talk about how he was a spiritual bully and how we still sometimes see this in the church today, specifically based on what John says about Diotrephes. So in 3 John verse 9, beginning in verse 9, he says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to this passage all the way throughout the study, but there is so much said about just this one man. 
And it was enough to where John feels like he has to call him out by name. There are three letters written. And it, it almost seems like, especially in 2 John, there may be some hints to some of these issues that Diotrephes has caused in the church. Um, and, and so that, that could possibly be the case. Regardless, though, when, when John decides, when the Holy Spirit decides to, to guide a man to write about someone in particular... I think we need to take note of that. And so first what I want to do is just look at the character, the description that John gives to this man named Diotrephes within the church there as he writes to, get, to Gaius. First of all, he loves to be first. That's, that's the first thing that it says about this man, that he loves to be preeminent, your translation may say. This is the kind of person who, as it says on the screen, completely self-interested, thinks only of him or herself and not about anybody else. That's what, that's, this is one of the first things about what a spiritual bully looks like. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. We were just talking about, and honestly, there was so much that was said during the Bible class this morning in, in the auditorium that I thought went right in line with, with a lot of the things we're going to be talking about with, with diatrophies. But Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3 beginning, it says, Do nothing, do no thing. From selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility or of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And what kind of mind is this? What kind of attitude is this? In verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Be like Christ. Have that kind of mindset. Have that kind of attitude. And what does that look like? I think sometimes we... we buy into some false notions of what humility is. And I really like the way C.S. Lewis said it. When he talked about what humility is, it's not about, it's not thinking less of yourself. When we think of humility, some people almost, almost put themselves down. And that's not what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. What does he mean by that? Just what Paul says, thinking more, more of your brethren's interests. Thinking more about them than just yourself. Not being totally, com completely self-interested, but thinking about them. And I think C.S. Lewis just, just had it so right. This is the kind of person that, like Christ, considers other needs more. And more than just himself. There is, I, there is such a good example of this. Um, there, there was a brother that, that I just absolutely respect, even to this day. He was talking about at the congregation that he was at, he was talking about how they decided they, they had worship service scheduled kind of like us. It was one worship service in the morning with Bible class, and then in the evening they, they came together again for another worship service. But because of where they were, there were a lot of older folks that really had a hard time getting out uh, just in general. But especially at the nighttime, whenever it got dark, they had that much harder of a time. And it was even kind of dangerous for a few of those members. Now, the, the congregation got together and said, we kind of need to think about maybe making things easier on our brethren. And what I loved about this was they didn't say, let's just get rid of one thing altogether. Let's spend less time together. They said, we don't want to lose any time. Let, let's just do it all in, in one service in the morning. And so they would have the, uh, a worship service, they would have a Bible class, and then a worship service after that. And that was a little bit longer, but I think that's a testament to their devotion. But regardless of any of that, there was this brother, there, there was a few people there that were uncomfortable with it. And there was one brother in particular who was talking about that. And he had a really hard time with changing the time, just the time, just the schedule of when they were going to meet together. He really struggled with this. But after talking with many of the brethren, after talking through things, he voiced some of those concerns. I mean, he did actually bring them to the rest of the brethren. 
But by the end of it all, when everything was said and done, what he did was say, I mean, you know how I feel about this, but if this is what is best for the congregation, if this is what is best for my brethren, I'm okay with it. Now, mind you, this isn't a matter of doctrine. If it was a matter of doctrine, he would have stood firm. But this was a matter of, of really preference. It was a matter of judgment. And what he showed was that he was thinking more of his brethren's interests than his own. And they ended up going to that. After everything was said and done, he said, actually, it, it turns out it was a good thing. I think, I think we actually have a, a better, uh, a, some better worship services because you have more people. And I, I was like, that's great. It doesn't always work out that way. But even if it didn't, he had that kind of demeanor. I, I want to do what's best for my brethren. Now, the bully, on the other hand, makes everyone else around them consider his needs first and foremost. And whenever he doesn't get his needs, whenever he doesn't get his way, what he or she is going to do is blow up. That's how the bully reacts. Instead of thinking about their brother their brother and sister's needs more, he thinks only about himself. And if I'm not getting my way, guess what? It's going to be hard on everybody. That's, that's a man like Diotrephes, someone who is so attached to the building and, and maybe the congregation comes together and says, listen, we have needs for maybe a bigger building or, or just something like that. And, and a man says, I don't care what anyone says, I'm not leaving this building. First of all, I think he has an unhealthy attitude towards just the location, but he also has an unhealthy, a worse attitude towards his brethren, family in Christ. And that's a problem. That's someone who's like Diotrephes. But we're supposed to be like the people that, that the apostles can speak well of and say, you're, you're doing well. You're doing well in thinking about the brethren around you. You're doing well in keeping up love and stimulating one another to love and good works. We don't want to be like a bully. Well, not only does he love to be first or does he put his interests over everyone else and everything else, but it also says that he unjustly accuses us with wicked words. Now, essentially what this is, and we talked a little bit about gossip a couple weeks ago, but this is someone who slanders, who gossips to exalt themselves. Again, we, we're not going to spend as much time on this because we, we went into good detail on what gossip looks like just a couple of weeks ago. But, but in this case, what does the spiritual bully do? What does a man like Diotrephes do? When he speaks, it's not to give grace to the hearer, as Paul says in Ephesians. Rather, it's to as we were talking about just a second ago, put himself first. When he speaks, it's going to be to make sure that no one else goes before him. Now, this looks like the, the, a man or a woman who puts his brethren down to make sure people have to look to him. This is the kind of person who speaks maybe corruptive, uh, corruptively or slanderously about one brother or sister just to make sure that people start not going to them but coming only to me. Because I, I want to make sure that I'm the go-to person. I want to make sure that everyone maybe just looks up to me. I tell you what, as we go through all of this, one of the main issues you see with Diotrephes is pride and arrogance. Thinking way too highly of himself. All of this has to do with pride. But when thinking about this, when thinking about hurting slandering our brethren just, just so that way people will come to us or look to us or discredit completely even someone like the apostles as Diotrephes was, was trying to do. I, I would just ask, think about this. Whenever I put a brother or a sister in Christ down to make myself look better for whatever reason, can I say that I am any better or any different 
than the man who slandered the apostles of Christ. Diotrephes. If I decide that I'm going to gossip against my brethren and hurt them in such a way, you are just like Diotrephes, and there's no way around it. And so we need to be careful that we don't follow after that same pattern because we are following after the same footsteps of a man who is trying to discredit the apostles and trying to discredit those who were of Christ. And that is dangerous territory to say the least. And so I don't want to be that kind of a man. Well, not only that, but he does not receive the brethren. And, and, and I think there are a few ways that this can happen. He, he, he disrupts the fellowship of the brotherhood. And again, there are several ways that we can see this. Really, I want to focus on two ways that I think we can do this today. And one is what you see directly in 3 John with what Diotrephes is doing with some of the brethren there. Just refusing to receive those whom God has received. Refusing to receive those or acknowledge the discipleship of people who God has said, this is someone who is a part of my church. So, if, if you think about Acts chapter 9, when Paul was trying to associate with, he was trying to join the disciples in Jerusalem. Now, at the first, they were worried about that because, well, Paul's a murderer. At that time, Saul, he was a murderer. He had persecuted the church, and so they, honestly, they kind of had a right to say, I, I don't know about this, guys. I mean, it, it was dangerous. But here comes Barnabas. And Barnabas uh, vouches for him, essentially, and says, I, I, I've, I've seen and I've heard how he preached. He is a disciple. He is a Christian. Now, and, and specifically, he goes to the, the apostles to say all this. Now, think about this. If the apostles had rejected Paul, even after Barnabas had vouched for him and proven that he was a disciple, proven that he was a Christian, what would they have been doing if they had rejected him? Ultimately, they would have been rejecting someone, refusing someone whom Jesus had revealed himself to. Yes, there was some baggage. Yes, there was some bad history there. There was, there was some bad blood, but guess what? Christ's blood washed all that away, didn't he? And if they had said, I don't think so, they would have been rejecting someone whom Christ said he wanted to use as an apostle. And so do we, do we have any right to do this today? To refuse those who meet the criteria of being a Christian, who have submitted themselves to Christ? We have no right. No right, like Diotrephes thought that he was allowed to do. Well, that's just one way that I think we can disrupt the fellowship here. I think another way, just on the flip side of this, very quickly, is, is not just refusing someone whom, whom God has received, but accepting those, receiving those whom God has absolutely rejected, whom he has not received. And a fantastic example of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember what happens there. There is a brother among them. There is a brother in Christ, a Christian, and he is living almost worse than some of the Gentiles around them. He, there is sexual immorality among them. And what Paul says is, you need to remove it. That can't be among your midst. You cannot let that continue. Now, we understand that's what Christ wants from us. That we remove, that we remove the leaven and make sure that it does not corrupt, that it does not affect the church there, that we want to obey him. But I'll tell you what the bully says in this instance. The spiritual bully looks at the situation and says, you know what? 
I know, I know that you have a problem with this, but we need to keep him here because that will make us look good to certain eyes in the community. That will make us look good. People are going to look at us and they're going to see that we are just tolerant. Interesting that tolerance was, was a temptation even back then, not just today. Now the bully, he does not care about what Christ says. He just wants to accept just, just for the looks of things. Completely superficial, no conviction whatsoever, completely self-interested, not Christ-centered or Christ-interested. And I think that this is one way that, one of many ways that we can disrupt the, the fellowship of, of the brotherhood, disrupt the fellowship of God's people. And so we need to be careful that we do not follow after the same footsteps as Diotrephes. Not only that, but moving on to that next part of verse 10, he forbids those who desire to do so. So this is specifically talking about how he does not receive the brethren. And there are some other Christians over here in the church that are trying to do what they're supposed to. They are trying to receive these brethren. They're trying to say, hey, of course we're going to allow you in. Of course you're a part of the family. Why? Because you've been washed in the same blood we have been. But Diotrephes sees this and he says, uh-uh, absolutely not. We are never going to allow those people in. What does he do? He's intimidating others to do as he wishes. Once more, I think you can just... It's almost an umbrella. He loves to be first. He only cares about himself. And so he tries to force people to go along with his antics. And again, he intimidates people into that. Look at one example in John chapter 9. Here's, here's I think, a good example of this. John chapter 9 and verse 20 beginning. Here's the story where man, uh, or rather Jesus, heals the blind man. And it just causes such a stir in the synagogue, particularly among the Pharisees. And they were causing... Quite a bit of, of, of chaos here. And so you get to verse 20. After the Pharisees had, had questioned the parents of, of the blind man who had been miraculously healed by Jesus. In verse 19 they even say, Hey, is this your son who, was, who you say was born blind? How does he see now? So his parents answer and say in verse 20, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And then what does it say in the rest of the... Verse 22, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. I mean, stellar parenthood right there. <laughs> how, how cowardly. How... Absolutely, what a lack of conviction there. When, when you think about that level of, of, again, bullying, that level of intimidation, is there any consideration? Is there any care for truth? No. Truth has been thrown by the wayside. We don't care about that. They were spiritual bullies. They were intimidating people into saying what they wanted them to say. And if anyone tried to say otherwise, there are going to be problems. In fact, they'd already, they'd already set everything up so that way, if anything does go poorly for us, everyone knows that they're going to be out of here. Everyone knows that they're going to be gone. And I think that this is consistent with a spiritual bully. Not just in John chapter 9, but even when, when John is talking about Diotrephes. A bully has already... You think about this. Maybe uh, there's a situation that arises within the congregation and there's a decision that maybe needs to be made. You have a, you have a real problem with it, a, a scriptural issue with it. 
Now, the bully has already intimidated everyone else into thinking something, into thinking the same thing he wants them to say or think. Now he comes to you because he knows that you are, you are a man or woman of God and you are someone who cares about what the Word says and what truth says. And after establishing and intimidating everyone to say the same thing or, or into not saying anything, he comes to you and he says, well, listen. Everyone else has already agreed to this. Everyone else already agrees that we need to do this. So do you really want to be the stick in the mud here? Do you really want to be the one to cause issues? I tell you what, that reminds me so much of, of 1 Kings with Elijah and Ahab. Elijah is a prophet of God. Ahab is a terrible king and he's brought idolatry into Israel to a disgusting degree. And here, Elijah comes before uh, Ahab, and ah what does Ahab say? Oh, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Can, can you imagine being like, I'm the, I'm the troubler of Israel? Who's the one that brought all these idols in? Who's the one that's been defending God's word? It's not you. I'm not the one who's caused trouble. But, but this is what happens a lot of the time. People like to say just because you know, someone has a scriptural issue here, and they bring that up. The bully comes and says, oh, you're the one that's causing trouble. No, no, no. The one who's causing issues, it's not the person who is standing up for God and standing up for his word. The person who's causing issues is the bully and they're acting just like Ahab. Oh, you're just, you're just a troubler. You're just, want, you're just wanting to cause issues in the church. No, that's not the case. But they will change the perspective. They, they at least try to. They say, oh, well, you know, we were all united in this, but here so-and-so had a problem. So that's, that's how a spiritual bully acts. That is how a spiritual bully tries to intimidate people within the church. Well, finally, you get to that last portion of verse 10. And that we already kind of touched on this, so we won't spend a lot of time here. But this Diotrephes, when they don't do what he wants, when they don't do what he says, what does he do? He just throws them out. He excommunicates the people who... Don't fall in line. N not with God's will, not with God's desires, but with his own. The people that don't do what I want them to do, the people that, because, listen, I know best. That's, that's the way the bully thinks. Who knows best? God, obviously. But the bully says, I, I definitely know best in all these matters. And so you need to do what I say. And if you don't, obviously the best thing to do is to get rid of you. And so he throws even more faithful brethren out of the church, out of the congregation. And, and this kind of attitude, it's disgusting, it's vile, it is completely repugnant to what a Christian is supposed to look like, how a Christian is supposed to act, specifically how a Christian is supposed to treat their brothers and sisters. He is not treating them like family. He is treating them like subjects. And he puts himself above the apostles, ultimately puts himself above God's will and God's word and tries to umbrella it all under a facade of, well, trust me, I'm, I just care about what God wants. So you need to listen to me because I'm the only one that has the right answers. This is, this is a spiritual bully. This is just a brief description of what a spiritual bully looks like and one within the church. So now I want to get to John's response. In First John, or, or rather Third John, <clears throat> coming back to, to verse 11. 
After describing everything, let's just read verse 10 again. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Now, there's a couple things that he says here that I think we need to point out. And the first of those is at the very beginning of verse 10. Before he gets into the bulk of the description of this kind of person, he says, I will call attention to his deeds. When I come, if I come, we're not just going to brush this under the rug. John says, this needs to be opposed. He says, this needs to be struck down and completely taken away. This isn't something that we can just allow. John was not willing to brush this under the rug. He was going to rebuke it. And I think, as, as is consistent with, with the New Testament, when you see the words of Christ through, through the apostles or directly from Christ, as the Holy Spirit uh, reveals it to us, we should follow that example. Now, someone might come up and say, well, you see what John says here. Call attention to his deeds. Someone may say, well, listen. It's just silly behavior. It is silly. It's absurd. But we probably shouldn't raise any more trouble about this. Now, again, I just I immediately go back to Ahab and Elijah. Ahab was trying to make everyone say, Elijah, the one who actually cares about God, he's the troubler of Israel, not me. Did that make it true? And what would have happened had Elijah given in to that? You know what? I, I don't want to cause any trouble. I wonder if that's what some people did at Corinth. I wonder if not everybody was, was trying to push tolerance as some, some prideful thing that we can boast about because they were boasting about it. I wonder if some of them had a major scriptural issue but said, you know what, I, this, this is silly behavior. This shouldn't be, but I, I don't want to cause any trouble. Does that make it right if they had said that? You go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. Here's another description, I think, of, of this kind of a person like Diotrephes. Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. I think these people needed to hear what, what Paul had to say. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Diotrephes was a factious man. It didn't matter that he was a Christian or not. He was a factious man. In fact, it's really more so directed towards the one who looks as if they are a Christian. Or, or, or who's trying to act the part. Now, wh what does Paul say about the factious man? Does he say, it's just silly behavior? No, Paul is actually a lot more severe than that. He says, you reject him. If he will not repent, if he will not get over this, if he will not correct himself, you get rid of him. Because this man has no place in the church. This man has no place among God's people. This is not just silly behavior. This is something that he says must, must must be counteracted and must be rebuked to the, to the most serious degree. Now, you think about that. When, when, I, would, I would just say, when someone in the church is being a bully, just understand that doesn't mean that, that, that no damage is being done. Well, they're just like that. When someone in the church is being a bully, that means inevitably someone in the church is being bullied. That means someone is being treated the way Diotrephes was treating those brethren. And let me tell you something. It was vile and disgusting and sinful. 
And there is a problem of sin in that congregation. And so maybe, and I, maybe we can look at that and say, well, it's, it's okay just for right now. I mean, it's, that, that's, happening, you know, that's happening somewhere else. That's not happening right next to me. What happens when it is in your vicinity? What happens when the bullying, the spiritual bullying, comes upon your child? What happens when the spiritual bullying comes upon your wife? I mean, it's, it's okay up until it comes down to those closest to me. Then we're not going to be blind to it. But guess what? It's too late. You want to know why? Because I've done nothing about it. Up until the point where my interests started being hurt. And so we need to call attention to, that, to those deeds. Not only that, but he says, do not imitate evil. I think he is directly talking about Diotrephes. And I think that there's a couple ways to do this. One, I think what he's trying to say is, do not be like him. Don't you respond with bullying yourself. We are told how to respond here. But it's not looking just like that sinful person and engaging in that same uh, kind of behavior. Uh, earlier in Third John, in verses 5 and 6, in fact, John says to Gaius that he was doing well in the opposite of what Diotrephes was not. Uh, in verse 5, it says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Diotrephes was not doing that. Gaius, though, and a few other people, they were doing that well. And so what he says is, don't, don't be like him. And, 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 and he starts with the positive in verses 5 and 6, and then reaffirms with a negative. You're doing this well. Don't stop just because he's being a fool. Don't stop because he's not being what he should be. And I think there's an encouragement there. And, and we, need to be, we need to be careful that, that, that we don't get discouraged and then just decide, well, just whatever. I'm, I'm going to react in the exact same kind of ways. Don't engage in the same sin. Why does he have to say all of this? Because he knows how easy it is to be corrupted, to be persuaded and influenced by bad behavior. What does 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 say? Bad company corrupts good morals. That can happen even within the church. And we need to be careful that we are focusing more on, on the good brethren, not just, not just the malcontent who, who, who's being like Diotrephes. Not only that, not only are we not supposed to be like him, but he, I, I think this has to do with not going along with him. Now, kind of hearkening back to something we said a moment ago, someone says, you know, not only this is silly behavior, this is wrong behavior, this is bad behavior. I know that. But I, I need to be submissive, shouldn't I? I have to have a submissive attitude, shouldn't I? What if Paul had said that or thought that with Peter in Galatians chapter 2? You remember, Peter, he says, was being a hypocrite, an apostle. That affected people. And because of that public wrong, Paul came up and says that he had to rebuke him publicly. And he had to make sure that people understood this was a mistake and we're not going to continue that. What if Paul had just said, ah, that, Peter's a fellow apostle, I don't really... I know that this is wrong behavior, but, you know, I, I think I need to be submissive. There is a big difference between submissiveness and timidity. And I don't want to hide, hide behind the facade of submissiveness just because I'm being timid. We need to call attention to those deeds. We need to not imitate that kind of evil, and we cannot go along with it. Here's the response from John. Here is what we need to do as Christians. Whenever this comes up. Now, with all that being said, we talked a lot about what 
Diotrephes, the kind of man that he was, being a spiritual bully, we are supposed to be a people that can be described not as hurtful and hateful and hostile, but people who have been risen to be the complete opposite of that. People who, who have been risen, living a resurrected life to put on the qualities of Jesus. Now, you may be a Christian. It may be that you have been the one who was the spiritual bully. John says it's sinful. Are you willing to repent of that? On the other hand, you may be a Christian and you may be the one who has been, who has been placating that bully, that spiritual diatrophies. And John says, God says, that can't be. Are you willing to repent of that? And I would just say, if you're not a Christian, whether you have been the bully or you have been the one who has been hurt, I would hearken you to the invitation of Christ. Because what he says is he can move you past all the hurt. He can move you past, perhaps, all the hurt you've caused. Think of Paul. And he is able to do that no matter who you are. With Paul, who was a murderer, with Christ's grace, Paul could say, I have salvation. And be confident about that. Regardless of who you are, Christ's invitation is for you this morning. Do you want to become a Christian? Do you want to be the kind of person who is described, not as diatrophies, but the kind of person that at the beginning of 3 John, Gaius, who is doing what he is supposed to be doing, even in light of all of that. You can rise above all of that silliness, all of that wrong. Are you willing to become a Christian today? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.